Hey guys, we're back with another episode of Find Your Film. We actually just taped a mini segment with our close friend and cinematics group member, Angie Clark. We talk about the Ely Kazan film, wonderful film, Wild River, which she purchased over at at Entertain Mart. Um, thanks to Eric Holmes and his occasional giveaway that he does. Eric Holmes, when are our listeners going to get some more of those wonderful, cool card gifts? That you, when, when are they coming with? When are you coming in with the heat with those $25 gift cards? Coming soon? Eric Holmes? Betty, Betty, soon. Betty, <laughs> soon. <laughs> um, I mean, actually, we could probably do it next week if you want. Okay, we'll see what happens. No, I'm not. I'm not I, hey, you know what? As a again, I, I say this in the mini segment. It's not a joke. As a as a crypto as a now crypto addict, I'm never going to force people into buying things because um, I am I am all tapped out when it comes to the coin. But you know what? Enough of crypto. Enough of enough of the whole entertain mark. Enough of uh, Wild River. We're gonna get to that. Here's the thing about this episode, Eric Holmes. You made a a bold declaration via our messages. What did you want to tease? our listeners regarding the strength, hopefully the hopeful strength of this episode. What are you loving about it? As far as the movies we're covering today, at, least, uh, at, at the very least, the uh, the three main features, it's going to be a hard one to top. We, <laughs> we have three fantastic movies to talk about. So I'll just, I'll just show my cards. We got three damn near masterpieces to talk about. Three, three classics to talk about. Oh, you said three damn near masterpieces. And then you, you ended up and you said three masterpieces, Bruce Perky. When I think of masterpieces, I only think of three masterpieces. The Painted Bird, number one. <laughs> number two is The Painted Bird. And number three is The Painted Bird. Bruce you forgot Tenet. We got Tenet. But... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Bruce. Okay. Bruce Perky, are these near masterpieces? Or are these are these da- are they masterpieces? All three of them. What, what, what do you say? What? There's some really good movies going on here. I would agree. I think we're we're masterpieces. Yeah, maybe. Uh, well, one of, one of them for sure. One of them for sure. If, if if we're trying to debate whether between their masterpieces or really good movies, I think we're still in a pretty great yeah, a great boat. So, in fairness to Bruce Perky, who tried to dial it down, you're really not dialing down when we're talking about no. a plus a plus 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 and a and. At, at their very worst in a minus so we're we're good we're good to go i'm not gonna even uh pussyfoot around here the three movies we're covering the killing of two lovers what's the other one writers of justice you know what for some reason that moniker doesn't really stick with me but the movie itself does and last but i thought was going to be definitely least was the gin is that correct am i pronun- pr- pronouncing it right bruce Berge? the gin yes i'd say cold gin and now i'm going to go into a kiss song it's no. <laughs> <laughs> these are all movies that you can watch on friday there are a lot of high pro- other high profile movies that are coming out possibly a Zack snyder film might be coming out this week as well we haven't gotten to it look i'm sure that movie might possibly might be great as well because i know the holmes truth eric holmes and bruce not so darn very good i just saw that for the wild river thing bruce perky these two guys they're, they're the biggest Zack snyder fans in the world yeah, and there's going to be like a zombie tiger. I heard. I heard about it. It's going to be cool. <laughs> it's going to have so much character development. Like each one of its stripes, we're going to find out how it how it got there. It's going to be so good. Eric Holmes, was Bruce Perky being sarcastic, or what, what, do you oh. do you are you enjoying the, the sarca- sarcasm, or do you are you going to throw in your dry wit regarding Zack Snyder and his brilliance? Are you going to throw something? That, are you going to throw? Uh, well, huh? I'll, I'll start off by saying that I don't hate Zack Snyder. I think some of his let's let's 
pump the brakes on Justice League. It, it was it was <laughs> marginally better than the one that came before it. Is all I'll say. Okay, marginally. Okay, so okay, we're not going to talk about Snyder Cut. Yeah, we're, we're going to start off right now. Okay, and we're going to maybe we're going to have a couple of um, quick movie recommendations. Bruce Perky has in, and I we're going to and Eric we're going to have a really nice talk about the movie Rudderless regarding a what's in the box thing. So if you are a fan of you know Anton Yelchin and Billy Crudup and William H Macy rudderless that might be or you know or selena gomez that's something that we're gonna, we're gonna be talking about at the end of it <laughs> don't shake the head bruce burke i just added you to selena gomez thank you no okay 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 we're gonna be talking about rudderless to as as i like to say to bring out the rear bring up the rear i'm going to defend round the- out the rear is what you like to do according to the last episode <laughs> okay yes according to the last episode okay you know what let's just start right now the killing of two lovers it hits theaters in on demand may 14th I have been blabbing out. I either Bruce or Eric. I'm going to. Well, I'm just going to say. I'm, look, I'm going to do the very quick plot up. It centers on this man. He is a, a small. It centers in a small town, and I don't even know. Eric Holmes, you're going to vote. Do we even mention what's the first opening frame shot, or do we do we let the? What do you guys think? Do we let the viewers experience the opening moments? I, 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 even though it's in the trailer, I, 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 I would say I would say skip it because it's kind of. Uh... We'll just say it starts off strong. Okay, excellent. I, I, and and kind of dance around it because, well, I'll, 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 I'll let you go and then I'll say a couple things. But Okay. Clint Crawford, he plays this guy named David. David is a divorce. He's about to be divorced. He's in the middle of a separation with his wife. Okay, his wife is played by Sepede Moafi. She plays Nikki. So it's a, it's a relationship story with David and Nikki. David is filled with rage in the beginning of in the beginning of the story. It is a very shocking and memorable opening sequence. You will not get it out of your head. You will never, ever forget. This is unforgettable opening for The Killing of Two Lovers. That will draw you in just as a genre film right from the get-go. So it starts off with David and a very interesting encounter that will leave you, might, might leave you emotionally scarred for the opening moments. So ultimately, the movie centers on how David is trying his best to work his marital problems with Nikki, they have, I believe, three three kids, and that's really the, the crux of the movie. Nikki wants to move on with her life. She's seeing someone else. That that encaps David's rage even increases because of that. Because bottom line, no matter David and Nikki, they started off as young as a young couple. They're now probably in their early thirties. Maybe both of them want to live their own lives, especially Nikki. But ultimately, the focus is on the welfare and the benefit of their of their children. David especially is very focused on their children. The only problem is as much as he's a great dad, but he does have these issues regarding rage and aggression. Bruce Porky, what did I leave out? Anything else regarding the plot synops? What did you think? It, by the way, it's David, it's directed and penned by Robert Machoyan. I, I don't think you left anything out. I, I think that uh, we're not going to say what the opening shot and short sequence involves but let's just say that it um colors everything for the whole movie because you have a certain sort of expectation based on that that keeps keeps you i guess tense i guess is what i would say throughout the entire movie even to a level you might not have been it might have grown to that level but you wouldn't start at that level if it didn't start the way this movie starts i was struck by a few things so you talk about him 
you know, dealing with his rage and their relationship and all this. And I think what it really does, it's interesting, is that, first of all, this movie is very, very grounded. It is not stylized version of relationships. It doesn't, you know, it seems very realistic. And instead of, I guess what I would describe is this. He is in that situation where he is kind of balancing this kind of, uh, quote, agreement that they have. They're kind of in a separation but he thinks that the separation is so they can work on things, but yet they're allowed to date other people. But when that actually starts to happen, how his inability to like actually deal with the reality of that changes things. And I think all of that is done very subtly and very almost bleakly honest, <laughs> you know? And the other thing I'll bring up and I'll, I'll stop talking, but I'll bring up something else that I thought was really interesting about this. A couple things are the director will do things where he'll shoot certain scenes where it seems like he just literally has the camera locked down, like on the passenger door of a car, like he might on the passenger door of a truck and our main character is driving the truck and you'll drive with him from place to place in this town. And this town is a rural town, like in the middle of nowhere, it seems like next to some mountains. And it seems so small. It seems like one of those towns you could look from one end of it to the other and see the other end of the town very easily. So you get these scenes where he'll go around like two or three corners and he's at the next location and you went the whole way with him and it did not take that long. So it's you get that feeling that you're in one of these places where everybody knows everybody. It is not, there are no secrets in this town. You know, that's kind of the impression I got. And that just kind of adds to this kind of crucible that you're stuck in with them regarding impressions bruce and i want to throw it to you eric you know the movie shot in a four three ratio which was recently used in a couple years back in the lighthouse what did you think of that style right from the get-go do you think we needed it did you like it along with the other kind of just visual style of the movie or the choices Uh, this is gonna sound weird but uh i didn't even remember that until you mentioned it in my mind, this movie was shot on widescreen, <laughs> but probably because it's set, uh, you know, in a pretty much flatlands, you know, the, the mountains are in the background. But yeah, I, I remember this movie as being in widescreen, which it clearly isn't. But wait, I, wait, for some reason, that's Bruce. Did you notice that? Am I, am I completely wrong about this? No, I, I noticed it. I, I have this experience with these boxy aspect ratios. I'm almost always annoyed by them at the beginning. <laughs> They almost they almost always tend to be good movies. I don't know why that is the case. And uh, I don't, I rarely think they add anything to it. But as long as they do what they did to Eric, which they did to me too, it's like where I basically forget about it after a while. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, it's good. Right? I forgot about it. I I was like you. I go, okay, here we go. And then I forgot. Mm -hmm. But Eric, what didn't you forget about this movie and what made it? We're talking about masterpieces. What, What about this? What worked about this movie for you? Why did it work? How did it work? The ratio didn't, the aspect ratio didn't really come into play with me. I, I think I noticed it at one point, but I didn't even really remember it until you just brought it up just now, <laughs> not uh, previously. Jeez, Bruce, did you notice this? Or am I completely wrong on this whole 4-3 aspect? Am I completely wrong on this? I totally noticed it and I totally didn't care. <laughs> so, no, it was, it was fine. I mean, a lot of times I see this and it bothers me at the beginning and I'm like, why we never need, we never need a boxy ratio ever, ever, ever. And then I get about 10 minutes of the movie. I forget it's there. And I'm like, it's a great movie and I don't care. So uh, would I like some of these movies to be widescreen? Sure. Does this movie need to be widescreen? Probably not. It's, it's such a close personal movie that it works totally fine. And I don't think it detracts or adds anything. It's, it's just a choice. Well, Eric Holmes, you were the first down, first person to actually lay down the gauntlet by saying this movie is a masterpiece. 
what makes the killing of two lovers a masterpiece for you and well, was it the one out of the three movies that you said one is a definite masterpiece or am i wrong about this the, this one would be a near masterpiece <laughs> this okay. is, so th- this is not the one. This one just, uh, the way it starts off just draws you in. And it really needs to because I actually kind of des- describe this movie. It's not really going to do it any favors because a lot of what this movie has going for it is how, you know, spending time with the characters and and based on that opening scene, seeing how things kind of unravel. And I I mean, this, this basically, this movie is basically about a bad relationship or toxic relationship of two people trying to keep it together for the kids air quote for the kids. I don't know how to really sell this movie because everything that's great about it. You kind of just have to let wash over you because uh, the way this, uh, the way this movie unfolds and the way the characters interact with each other. I I would say the only thing I didn't like is that the uh, kids mentioned Mitch Hedberg. And there's no way in hell his kids know who Mitch Hedberg is, and he does not know who Mitch Hedberg is. Yeah. But uh, that 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 one seemed a, that part seemed a little writerly. It, it's hard to explain without directly referencing that beginning because it, it kind of reminded me of the Shield, uh, the TV show The Shield, because everything that happens in the Shield hinges on that what happens at that very first episode, all the way to the very end. You know, and this kind of does a similar thing where the thing that happens at the beginning just kind of propels the rest of the movie. And you got a bunch of fun characters. Yeah, you know, fun. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the wrong word. But uh, you have a bunch of great, uh, well-written characters and the way they interact. Uh, everything seems honest. And the ending that I also can't talk about. Jeez. Ah, <laughs> Well, what do you want I, to say about I, the ending? I mean, what do you? What is your gut reaction regarding the ending? The ending is what? fantastic. Yes. That, that 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 was my gut reaction. So there's uh, there's a, a thing that happens at the end, which tra- uh, just like the beginning triggers another set of events. And but like the last scene, like the last scene before that, the credits roll. Oh yeah, not at all where I thought it was going to go. And nope. and because it, 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 it it's almost like this movie's just building and building and building. And and then it just it kind of it ends perfect, like not it. I would never in a million years think to end a movie like this. And maybe some people will watch it, and maybe I'm overhyping it. They'll watch it and be disappointed. But this is just one of those endings where once it ended, I got chills, and I'm like, oh, this movie's fantastic. I fucking love it. <laughs> I just love everything about it, except for the kids liking Mitch Hedberg, because there's no way in hell they know who Mitch Hedberg is. But, uh, you know, in fairness, though, I mean, I'm not saying you don't, you don't know anything about kids, because you take care of kids yourself. I, I take care of my niece. I remember four or five years ago, I was at a, a, what, a flight to New York. I, I, I don't know where I was going. I think, it was, I think it was New York. And I had no idea how to operate the app-driven thing in front of me, the, the menu. And this four-year-old girl sitting right next to me just started doing all this thing and she just she looked like freaking Bill Gates next to me, just just doing everything with the apps, showing me all of the. So I'm just saying, kids are kids are really smart. Either kids are really really smart, and I don't know, maybe they do. I I don't know, Bruce. Do you think they might have the Mitch Hedberg thing was out of place, like Eric says, or do you think there's a shot? Maybe there's like a little shot. These kids know who Mitch is, and maybe they like uh, or not, or is it right rightly like Eric was saying? What do you think? What do you what do you chime I, in? Come I on. guess I didn't think about it at the time, but I, I agree with Eric. I think that that is a little, <laughs> a little far fetched, unless 
somehow another adult that he didn't know about introduced them to Mitch Hedberg. That's like the only way I could explain it, but that's like explaining that's like writing backwards to make it fit. You know what I mean? So we have nothing, we have nothing to tell us that's the case, but that's once again, it's beside the point kind of. So just to put a button on this, I'm not saying the kids wouldn't know who Mitch Hedberg is. I'm saying if they know who he is, the dad also knows who he is. Fair. But anyway, that's Talk, talk about not important at all to the movie. No, it really isn't. <laughs> you know what? These are, you know, there's, you know, getting into the weeds of a movie like this is fine. You, you yeah. can really get into the weeds with this. But look, I, I consider this, this is a masterpiece for me. The four, three aspect ratio, like Bruce was saying, it boxes you in because throughout the entire narrative, by the way, this movie is less than 90 minutes. I think it's 82, 83, 84 minutes. You are just a stress ball throughout most of this movie because when you're locked into that box and you're locked into the head of David, by the way, David, we, we talked about he's filled with rage. He's also filled with love. He has a really cool dry wit repartee with his father who's sickly. There's just some, there are some lighter moments in the killing of two lovers. This is a very layered experience, but you will be stressed up until this, when we talked about the memorable opening, the ending is holy crapola it's just as good as eric holmes was describing this whole movie to me is for me personally this is a five out of five this is a perfect perfect movie you know and and then if there are any flaws maybe we can get into the weeds but overall just great performances this is a movie that i can't wait to watch again bruce perky your just overall thoughts on masterpiece near masterpiece or just excellent whatever yeah no i'm right with you guys this is a very 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 good movie this is i mean it is right on a level close to masterpiece i guess this is one of those movies we were talking about the, the pawnbroker on our uh director spotlight in sydney levant um <laughs> thank you bruce Perkins. One, one of the comments that we had about that movie was it was great but i don't know if i want to be with this character again i don't know if i'm gonna watch it again this is almost one of those kind of movies too where it's like it's so truthful and so harrowing emotionally in a lot of ways that do you want to go through it again? Maybe, but is it the kind of movie like you might think of something else as a masterpiece? You might give it that extra level because it's something you just love to watch again. It's a world you want to live in. And that might be that extra sauce that this doesn't quite have, but that is personal taste, right? Uh, I just want to reiterate too, that final act is incredible. Uh, and one of the things I want to also bring about this, this, this movie does, the writing of this is so, so good about this thing about how when you are in a relationship or in a conversation and those and people know how to push each other's buttons and they trigger each other and they don't know how to stop themselves and how a fight will escalate in this movie. The way that he escalates things with, it seems so truthful and you're just all the way through. You're just like, no, no, don't, no, no, don't do that. No, no. You're going to send the kids away now. Oh no, no, no. That's worse. That's worse. And then no, 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 no. And it's like all the time you're seeing things happen. And you're just like, Oh crap. And I want to point out other things because there's these two layers going on with his main character because he's, you know, the nice, he's the awesome father, super, but you also have this level of tension with him where you'll have little scenes that are really seem innocuous. Like he's, he's loading this, uh, he's kind of having a semi-argument conversation with his ex-wife, maybe. (laughs) Um, And he's loading this punching dummy into the back of his truck the whole time. And just little scenes like that. But then when that scene pays off, it's like, wow. That just, it, it's it's a level of detail that enriches the movie 
and it allows you to see the scenes with levels and levels and levels. I think it's really excellent. I'm going to put a button, button on this, Eric Holmes. I rarely <laughs> swear, but was the two words, holy fuck or holy shit, did that, that cross your mind during one of the moments in the final act? Uh, yeah. <laughs> a couple yeah. times, a couple times, uh, yeah. And the weird thing is, when the thing, when the thing happened, I, I didn't know it was going to happen, but when it did, I was like, of course, that's... That's what's gonna happen. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's all. Uh, but I, I wanted to, I wanted to uh, jump in on what Bruce said about because that there's a version of this movie where the guy just keeps making bad decisions, and the the wife is nothing but a bitch, and then that's the dynamic, and it kind of is, but it, it goes a little deeper than that because she's she's angry with him, she's frustrated with him when he's trying to keep things together. And then when she's trying to keep things together, now he's flipping out. So they're never, they're either high or low, but they're never high and low at the same time. Their, their wavelengths are off just enough to keep their relationship just off never kilter. working. Yeah. And I know we need to move on, but also I add on to what Eric is saying. Also, that is done because by seeing the two levels of what this, his character is like, you see how he acts but you also see what he's doing that other people don't see what he's doing. And that tells you a level of him too, because if he's doing that now, he hasn't just flipped on a switch and become that character. That's probably manifested in other ways. So they both have some really serious flaws and it isn't just her. And he isn't just the misunderstood dude. that's trying to, you know, whatever. Who, who played the, uh, who, who played the wife? Because uh, we, we we haven't talked too much about her, yeah, but she's it, fan, absolutely fantastic, and, it, and her yeah. character again, like I said, there's a version of her character where she's just the bitch, and and that's it. And no, her her character has just as many layers to her in this, you know, because like she's she gets angry, but you totally get why because you see how he's acting towards her, and then you know she's trying to keep it together, and it it it's just it, it all works. They're real it's good. people, so in- good. In a lesser movie, her character would be the what, like you said, the antagonist, sort of the yeah. antagonist or whatever. And she's she's a fully fleshed human being, like pretty much most everyone is in the Killing of Two Lovers, which opens in theaters and on demand May fourteenth. Truth be told, listeners, viewers, we can talk about the Killing of Two Lovers for about several hours. This is just our capsulized version because guess what. We have two new masterpieces or masterpieces coming right down the pike. Speaking of which, Eric Holmes, I'm going to let you choose the next one. What's the next near masterpiece or masterpiece that you want to talk about? Hmm. Well, I guess we'll not bury the lead. <laughs> I, I want to go to the straight up masterpiece, or okay. at least what I think it is. Okay. Uh, the gin. Oh yes, that is it. The, okay, what? the the um, killing of two lovers and and the um, writers of uh, justice. The writers of justice. I I got I got similar things, but with the gin, this was like really intense with me. Do you ever have that thing when you're watching a movie and you, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up? Not because not because it's thrilling, not because you're scared. But because as you're watching it, you're going, oh, my God, I'm, I'm watching a great movie. Like, I'm watching a movie that I will cherish for the rest of my life. This yes. is a movie that's a fucking classic. And everything they're doing is right. And 
it, it's hard because it, it's hard to even review the movie because I was so excited about how good this thing was. My biggest fear, because this is a horror movie, and and we'll get into that. My biggest fear was, please don't fuck up. Please don't fuck up. Please, please stay going. And it fucking and it got to the end, uh-huh. and it fucking nailed it. I, I, I everything about this movie great. The end. Uh, I, I, I guess you want to go through the uh, the the plot synopsis. Yeah, I'll I'll do the right. Okay, here, here here's official plot synopsis, listeners, viewers. The Jinn. The story follows a, a mute twelve year old Dylan Jacobs as he discovers a, a mysterious book of spells. I think it's called Book of Shadows or something. In, inside his new apartment, G- grieving the loss of his mom and feeling isolated from everyone except his dad, Dylan performs a ritual that promises to to deliver his heart's desire which is to have a voice. So he wants to summon Dylan Jacobs. He wants to summon a jinn or the, the jinn to put back a little bit of voice. He He's mute. He wants to talk. That is his main wish. And that wish granted possibly by the jinn might come back to haunt him. That is the premise of the movie. Eric Holmes, did you wait, wait, Bruce chime in. Eric was saying this is a masterpiece. It is effing great. It's it's, perfect. it's really good. It's really good. It's short. What is this? Like eighty minutes? Or something? 80, 80, again, it like, felt like ten minutes. Yeah, it, <laughs> I wanted the same really to go fast. on so much this, longer. Okay. What? Okay, I'll just add a few little layers since you know he's given kind of the overview, and I agree with everything he says. First of all, it's surprising. You think it's just going to be this kind of cheesy, you know, indie horror movie, but. By the way, that's fine. That if it's a yeah, cheesy, totally fine, totally nothing fine. Nothing wrong with that. This this is first of all, it's really great limited storytelling. You wouldn't think this is limited storytelling, but it is essentially. It's mostly this boy, which we have to name the actor, the boy, the male Ezra the main Dewey. Actor. Ezra Dewey Ezra is Dewey. an actor. Yeah, he. I don't know how old he is. Maybe eleven, something maybe. like that. Thirteen at the most. Twelve, thirteen at he, the most. Maybe he is. Uh, what like 85% of the acting in this movie and he has to do most of it silent because he's supposed to be mute he has to pretty all of it silent really and I don't know how to say it this is like the perfect EC comic made into a movie this is like the perfect tales from the crypt made into a movie because it's got a really simple concept it gives you the rules it literally gives you the rules right at the beginning it says here's a I mean it doesn't even pretend to like come up with a reason like, okay, this used to be someone else's house. Here's a spooky book. Cool. I'm going to do this. Awesome. You know the rules. You set it up. But then it plays it out. And we're not going to say what happens. But the first thing that happened, the first event, I was a little confused because I thought some one thing was happening, but I wasn't quite sure. And then, and I want to hear what Eric thinks of this and Greg. But then when I was like, oh, I see what's happening. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then they kept escalating that concept. And last but not least, limited storytelling. You're basically all in this apartment. They roam around that apartment with the kid and with the camera. And they use every corner and every doorway. And they even do like Polanski kind of shit where they have like a shot down a hallway. We can see partially into one room and partially into another room. And they use that. It's really good. You got to uh, uh, watch when you say Polanski's shit with the movie starring a kid. Whatever, whatever. Get <laughs> okay, over whatever, whatever. Yeah, we love we love Polanski as the artist. Okay, and all speaking of artists, it's co-directed and written by David Chabonier and Justin Powell. I'm sure I mispronounced David's last name. They both wrote and directed this movie. They both co-wrote, co-wrote co-directed this movie. 
props to them. Again, as Bruce was saying, it's an enclosed type of film. Well, like Wait Until Dark starring Audrey Hepburn, like Panic Room. This movie probably was made for what, Eric Holmes? Like 20 bucks, bucks. Yeah. 25, <laughs> 30 bucks. Guess what? It doesn't, it looks like a million bucks. It, the production design is fantastic. <laughs> and we were talking about being tense, uh, being a big stress ball in the killing of two lovers all throughout the movie. I was scared. I, I was, I was scared for the, the boy's safety. I was, you know, I was tense. It, the pacing of this movie is perfect. It's only 82 minutes. It feels, Eric said, it felt ten, like a 10-minute 10 film, 10 minutes, but whether it's 10 minutes or 82 minutes, it felt like a full-fledged story. I'm going to get into the weeds because, Eric, I'm going to let you do all of the knockout praises for the gin. I'm going to get into the weeds with this. We previously, several months ago, we talked about how the dad in PG Psycho Gorman, PG for short, PG Psycho Gorman, he needs to have his own movie. He's an awesome character. <laughs> I love Psycho Gorman. We all love Psycho Gorman so much. Bruce the most because he has all that merch. But this Rob Brownstein plays Michael Jacobs, the father of, I guess, 12, 13-year-old, of his 12, 13-year-old son, Dylan. And Michael Jacobs, he's a radio DJ. He has to be out at night. That's why he leaves his son in the middle of the night because he has a night shift. Michael Jacobs, that is the, the name of the father, one of the cooler, coolest dads in cinema history, just a loving father who listens to his son's needs. I wish there was actually a little bit more of him in this movie. That's not a complaint. There's a reason why he has to leave because he has a, a, a night job. But this, is, this was great chemistry. And yeah, Ezra Dewey is... I think, you know what? I'm going to let you, Eric, talk about singing the praises of Ezra Dewey and the rest of the movie. I'm going to yield the floor to you. A year from now, I hope to hear the words and the Oscar for best male performance goes to Ezra Dewey. He is so fucking fantastic in this. And like Bruce said, he's like 10, 11. So like he's, he's, he's not a, he's not an old salt. That's for sure. (laughs) He's uh, um, that just the way that like, Look, um, silent acting is, uh, I, I guess, can be pretty tough because you don't you don't have the exposition. You have to you have to emote everything with you know with. I, I'm not an actor, but like this, just all the. Uh, sorry, yeah, I mean, I can't, you're, you're I, 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 I can't do this. He, he's just so fantastic, and I just want to hug him and tell him how great he is. But uh, um, the the music in it. The music is the score is fantastic. Yes. The the camera work, the way the camera's just flipping all over the and and not like in a Michael Bay sort of way, but like uh it, it kind of reminded me of uh uh what's that uh what oh, fuck what what what's that movie? The the something the night or the Oh oh um it comes at night. No, no, I... no. The the one where uh they're uh, the guy with the glasses and the girl and they hear that the aliens. Oh, vast, vast of night. Vast of night. Vast of night. Right. Very good. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it was it, the camera work reminded me of that just on a smaller level because they're inside of an apartment the whole time, and uh, just the way the weirdness kind of just kind of sort of creeps in, and that. But but then it hits with like an emotional punch because it's not just creepy for creepy's yeah. sake. There's there's stuff going in it that's personal to the characters. And and that part really landed to me, and I don't think that lands if uh, Ezra isn't as a great of an actor as he is. If you get just some random ten year old, this movie is not half as great as it, it as it is. You know, I I actually like Come Play. I I did enjoy the movie, Bruce. I messaged you before you <laughs> saw the gin, and I said, Bruce, 
I feel like this is going to be what you wanted come play to be in fairness. To, I mean, did this hit those notes? Yeah. Was I mean, right in that? yeah, they are different movies, obviously, but yeah. I think uh, to play on the idea of a young kid and a scary thing going on with a kid, I think this is so much more focused and so much more skillful and does so much with so little, uh, like we all said over and over again. I mean, I was thinking we talking about the camera movement. I was also thinking of like maybe the, you know, the, the maze sequence in the shining or something, you know, and, Oh, and this movie could have been so jump scary. And I'm not going to say it doesn't kind of have jump scares, but it doesn't really do it in the way it it's really earned when it does it. And it, it instead of just having like the, uh, the obvious, like person looks one way, music goes down, looks the other way. Ah, I mean, there's sort of an element of that maybe a couple times, but more times than not, it's something like he slowly with us and the camera looks around a corner and he does see something there and then goes back around the corner and you're like, oh shit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so that stuff was really good or walks past something and, and kicks it and kicks it. Nothing's happening. Kicks it. Okay. We're good. Are we? Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that that's great. That's really good tension building for a horror movie. Uh, it, and it's, and it's like I said, it's earned. Being Just to jump on that real quick. I, I think where this one earns it is that like a lot of jump scares, you know, they're coming because you hear them, the, the music going like, Oh, nothing's happened for a while. And then ah, jump scare. But th- this one, I think the jump scares work because you know what to expect. Yeah. Like he's, he's walking past that thing. You know, it's, you know, it's going to grab them. It's just a matter of when, yeah. uh, you know, they, they, they set up, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's limited well, storytelling. So you have almost perfect information. And so it's not, it, it's, it's uh, I mean, it's definitely a jump scare, but it, it, it's a jump scare because it plays off the dread and it plays off the suspense that it's actually building as opposed to, uh, I don't know, to some, something's behind the. He knows what to expect. Yeah. He is smart. We're shown that he is smart. And we also are shown the rules of the situation. So he knows, he knows, and we know he can't get out of it for a certain amount of something I'm not going to talk about. So that also makes it like he's forced into certain things that he might not do in another movie, except being a dumb character. But in this movie, he has to do them because he doesn't have a choice. That's awesome. There's another really cool thing about this, and it's real subtle. In fact, I thought the uh, the, the uh, TV screen was broken, um, but the uh, candle it's got it's the it's got weird. the black in the middle. Yeah, and, and it was like there's some, but then that's that actually plays a part in it. It's like a visual representation. So like when the candle's no longer black in the middle, it's just a normal candle. Like it it means something now. Yeah, and and the the way they set that up and that whole that whole last kind of standoff. Uh, sort yep. of thing and yep. and it's just that candle there and all he's got to do is get the candle it's just right there mm-hmm. easiest thing in the world but he can't do it and and it's not you know it's not that you can't do it in a contrived way it all makes sense with with how everything's set up is so good oh my god this movie's so good i'm gonna give i want to watch it again <laughs> i'm gonna give uh you know listeners i'm gonna give, give a couple of cheap comparisons like as far as a gumbo pot if you like the emotion the resonance of say the sixth sense mix it in with, we mentioned Polanski, like a a repulsion or I love Audrey Hepburn, that Audrey Hepburn film, wait until dark where everything's closed and you're tense 
you just mash them together and you get obviously like Bruce was saying, completely different movies. You get with this original concept, you get the gin. My only point of frustration, not against this movie, is it hits select theaters and every, anywhere you rent movies on Friday, May 14th. I am my only frustration is I I want everyone <laughs> to see the gin. I don't want this movie to be ignored. It will be a bone of contention if people do not see the gin. That's I mean, and also another thing that really frustrates me is they have no money to make this film. Why can't more movies that have billions and millions, millions and millions of dollars be as effective as this movie? These two filmmakers, they're going to be hired. If anyone has a brain in the studio system, they're going to be hired to do a tentpole movie because they know pacing, they know editing, they know scares. Most importantly, they know how to add heart into this genre film. Bruce, you were talking about the jump scares and Eric, you were talking about how they're, they're, they're layered into the narrative. Yeah, this some jump scares are cheap because the movies themselves are cheap and, and that's fine. We enjoy that. This movie's on an entirely different level. Excellent. Pretty much another masterpiece for me with the gin. Eric, you were going to say? I, 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 I went in after watching the movie. Um, I couldn't watch the movie again, but I wanted to at least watch the trailer to kind of refresh myself on some of the gloriousness I saw. Don't watch the trailer. Yeah. Uh, watch the movie first. And then if you want to go back to the trailer, do that. The trailer spoils so much, which I guess doesn't really matter because there's not, this movie is so strong and in that how, how everything builds and the suspense but, that, but yeah, there's, there's not gonna, knowing how the gin is going to manifest. Yeah. Is really key to yeah. enjoying this because i went in basically just knowing nothing the gin okay it's a genie or something that's all i know yeah. whatever you know what i mean <laughs> so so that that is the way to go into this because how it manifests and discovering the rules and what that's all about is yeah. awesome I, I i agree with that I'm, I'm just saying with the so with the the trailer it, it first of all the trailer makes this movie look a lot worse than it actually is and it gives away so much but even even with that, like if you already saw the trailer, just know that this moves so much better than that trailer lets on. And even even if it gives it away, I think this movie is strong enough that it doesn't, you know, it's not leaning on the uh, the one the first time viewing or like a a big twist or anything. It's it's just uh, it's just kind of like living in it and and kind of. Uh, Kind of just letting the movie pull you in and pull you in and pull you in, and then you get the you get the hair standing up back up on the back of your neck, not because you're scared, but because you're like me and you're like this movie is so fucking awesome. Jesus Christ, I can't believe I'm watching. Well, final thing on this is the killing of two lovers. We mentioned about the memorable ending and a specific act within the third act, which really got to us. Eric Holmes, you were talking the hairs on the standing on the back of your neck, and Bruce Perky. I want to get your guys' thoughts. On the ending, without giving too much of away about the gin, did it did it knock the ending out of the park? My take on it is holy bleep and bleep. It went there, and yes. So there's there's a uh, there's a moment that you'll probably be waiting for the entire movie that I, I, I didn't cry, but god damn, I wanted to so bad. <laughs> like I, that that ending just hit me so emotionally, and the the way the kid pulls it off. Oh. It's just it, yeah, I, I I was heartbroken and just I just want to hug him even more. <laughs> Bruce, your your thoughts? Yeah, I mean it's it's the perfect ending for this movie, and hopefully they don't make sequels because it's a perfect 
capsule. It's just it's just so smart. This is a it, this is made by people who I don't know if they love horror movies. It doesn't have to be a horror movie, obviously, but it, it is a horror movie. But this is these people that know how to write and they have the conviction to follow it all the way through to the end because this could have ended and still been really good a couple seconds before it ends. But by ending it the way it did, yes. By ending it the way it did, it had to end it that way. Once it ends the way it does, if you're on board, which you should be, you your only answer can be like, yes, that's the only way it could end. That's the yeah. only way this could end. It's the perfect ending. I mean, there is not a better way to do this. This is how there, it's, it's not. That's not even an opinion. That is just a fact. <laughs> that is just that is just a fact. And look, Eric Holmes. Am I wrong? Am I wrong, Eric? No, no, no. no you're absolutely right. <laughs> this is how much. In fact, you if you're listening and you watch the movie and you don't think it's a perfect ending, you're wrong. Just you are wrong. You're, saying <laughs> you're, wrong. And you're you just know, simply wrong. Final Capra, Eric Holmes was laid the laid down the gun and saying this movie's a masterpiece. And to Bruce's point, what Bruce has just said, he said if the movie ended a couple of beats before the actual ending, that that would completely, completely work as well. So you basically have two. It endings. would be good, but it wouldn't be as good. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yes. And you know what? Bruce Perky regarding sequels to the Jin, I definitely am pushing back on that because no. those two filmmakers, I want them to do the Jin. Make two. something else really cool. Make the, something else really cool. Jin goes spiraling. I don't know. No. Do, do Jin in space. Yeah, because we had so this movie is so Jin much in the of a hood. Let's just go all the way with this thing. Give us ten more gins, guys. You guys Jin deserve that. <laughs> gin, and, gin and tonic more sequels because you guys filmmakers we love this film so much that you guys deserve those those beautiful homes in malibu century city maybe on the, on the east coast do whatever you want this movie stands alone we love the gin and it's eric's i guess number one with the bullet this week so we're done so psycho gorman and i i, I think this one top and it's hard to compare the two because they're such different movies it's like Psycho Gorman just takes that that silly gore co- or gore horror, and it's just like the perfect version of this. And uh, the Jin takes that kind of real serious, thought provoking horror, if you want to call it that. Uh, people call it elevated horror, which I think is a terrible term, but they're they're, uh, they're, okay. they're both great versions of what they're trying to do. All right, you should not have said uh, it's a little bit better than PG Psycho Gorman because you just got a. Dead Eye, Kirk Douglas, Burt Lancaster in the middle of gunfight at OK Corral look from Bruce Porky, just staring you down at that assertion. How dare you in front of Bruce Porky <laughs> say that about PG, Psycho Corman, PG for short. Now, Bruce Porky, yes. how are we going to top these first two masterpieces and your masterpieces? What? Writers of Justice? What is this? I thought, what kind of title is that? Well, it, it is the worst. Th- it is the worst title of the three. I will admit Writers? that. Is this a fantasy <laughs> epic or something? Is it a biker film? Um, you know what? <laughs> I've been blabbing. Can, can you just... Well, uh, I don't know. I don't have the notes in front of me, so you might have to do the, the synopsis. But I'll say, first of all, I will say, um, <laughs> Writers of Justice is not the greatest title. And the poster makes it look like something that it is not. The poster just looks like it's going to be uh, Liam Neeson, badass, but instead it's Madness Mickelson, which I'm okay with that. I would go with that. But it's not what this is. So give him the synopsis if it doesn't spoil things. You know, I, 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 it's it, it's hard to actually talk about Writers of Justice to give it a simple plot synopsis as all of, and this is what makes it, in my opinion, also pretty much a masterpiece because all three of us we've seen our share of action films, 
and we love Mads Mikkelsen, but guess what? I, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to lay down the gauntlet as well. I'm going to say gauntlet 5 million times this episode out of all of us three, Bruce, I don't think you're going to, you're going to argue with me as far as action movies. I think the big expert among us three, it's Eric Holmes. And I, I dare him to actually name even 10 or 20 films that have as innovative as a plot for an action film. I mean, action thriller as writers of justice, such a very intriguing. Oh, Bruce, you're saying I debate if it's even an action movie, honestly. That's true. I mean, there's there's some moments. I mean, there's. I I, I mean, it's kind of like calling a Die Hard a Christmas movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You could call this a Christmas movie. This is a Christmas movie, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, well, anyways, but I I mean, it's, it's got action in it. But yeah, this is not a full-on action movie. This is well, we'll get into this. this is something else. This is a whole thing. <laughs> this is a whole. Well, okay. So let's let's just write up, just peel that one onion. Marcus, he's a military man. He's played by Mads Mikkelsen. He is basically never home. He's always out in the field, and ultimately he has to go home. He has to leave his post and come home after the tragic passing of his wife in a train accident. He is now in charge of parenting their teenage daughter matilde and that's it that is the story marcus is trying to take care of his teenage daughter they're obviously traumatized by by the mother's passing in the train accident the daughter was in the train as well so there's just double trauma on her point on her part she wants some kind of crisis counseling therapy marcus military man stoic he's all about doing the job he is tough as can be he is bottling his emotions regarding his wife's loss. He is of no help to the daughter whatsoever. He is a caring and loving father, but he sure does not show it. Enter three men. And I, I don't know, three men who are probably, they're just, I was going to say maybe the, I, I say this affectionately, they're like the three stooges without all the pranks. They're just, they're just different guys. They're statisticians. They're theorists. One of them is a is specialized in face recognition. One of these men, he was actually on the train, and he believes that the train accident was not an accident. It was actually, it was actually a conspiracy, an operation masterminded by a crime boss. So once he brings that theory to Marcus, Marcus is intrigued, and he joins. He teams up with these three men who help him via, via different information in actually taking down the men who are supp- supposedly responsible for this tragedy. So first off, Bruce Perky, I tried my best with the plot synop. Yeah. What stood out for, for you regarding Writers of Justice? This, this is such a hard movie to be able to sell to people and to describe the you talked, I think, early said gumbo. <laughs> this is a gumbo movie. This movie, uh, I guess what I like about it most is it always was surprising me. It is, I, I think people, some people will not like it because they will say it's tonally all over the place, which it kind of is, but somehow it still works because of that. Because there's a lot of humor in this. There's some straight up, straight bone crunching action. Mads Mickelson will give you some of what you want but not in the way you maybe want it. And um, this movie is not afraid to just do these weird, strange detours. Like there's a sequence. So early on in this, this grouping of these three men and Mads, Mads is trying to hide from his daughter what's going on. So if there's one point where, <laughs> where the three men are walking around, I forget what they says, but somehow she, they have to come up with a story of why those men are there. 
and they say, oh, we're, you know, we're here to like, oh, I'm a counselor or whatever he says. And he says, I'm here to like, you know, talk to your father and make sure that he's getting his counseling, some version of that. So basically she believes that he's a counselor and you're like, okay, that's their, their cover story. And then they go on to have a sequence where she gets counseled by him and you watch it. And it's like, why is the scene here? I don't know, but I love it. It's so weird. And this movie is full of things like that. There's scenes where they're going off to do uh, an action and somebody gets mads mad enough that they end up out of the car and off they go to do the action. And the later on they'll come by and like, oh yeah, we got to pick him up. Little things like that are just so strange. And ultimately it's a little bit of the butterfly effect. Like you get to watch this really interesting chain of events that you know it's like you do this one little thing and it leads this other thing it leads leads this other little thing and i think there's some interesting questions going on here about chance science you know determinism god i mean you can read it in a bunch of different ways but i think this has a lot going on in it and it's really but it's fun all the way to me it was now your turn (laughs) what do you think Eric, before we get to you, I'm just going to quickly, I'm going to let you wrap it up. I, I just think this movie is perfect as well. I, I don't even think near perfect, just perfect. It's close to two hours. I These days at my age and my patience, I don't like anything. It's hard for me to like movies that are over 90 minutes. This movie is close to two hours. I wish that I, I was fine. I was fine with the length. Also, Bruce, to your point, it's a Mads Mikkelsen movie, but everyone pretty much who is on Mads' character's side, that whole extended family, each of them get their moments to shine. And it diverges from the actual story, but you want to be there. It doesn't, it doesn't detract from anything. It actually adds to it, which is a rare thing. So if you want a fully fleshed story, this works. Writers of Justice works as an action thriller. It works as a comedy. It works as a fully fleshed narrative that continues to surprise you all the way up to the end. So high recommendation for me for Writers of Justice. Eric Holmes, your thoughts? I think uh, Bruce hit the nail on the head when he said butterfly effect, because that's that's really the theme of this entire movie. And I mentioned to Bruce in the in the chat, this reminded me a lot of Tenet and that um, where Tenet, to, at least to me, it's not so much about the plot or the characters. It's about the uh, it's about what they represent. And in Tenet's case, it's, uh, you know, a bunch of science shit. And in this, it's. Uh, the plot's kind of all over the place, but that's kind of the point because it's about the butterfly effect. Uh, it's a, a girl wants a bike, but she wants a blue one. Well, that sets off a whole weird chain of events that uh, brings these two people together, which which uh, set off this weird event, and it just keeps getting more and more insane. And you could argue that the plot's kind of a mess, but that's um that uh, again goes in with the theme because uh it's about chaos you know the butterfly effect uh in essence is about chaos and just how you know this thing that's happening right now it uh happened because of these chain events that started here and even when the characters uh tells another one it's like it's meaningless like you, you can go back is all the way to the big bang and you're you're gonna waste your time just just live and enjoy it or experience it or do do whatever and again uh, as you guys mentioned this is a hard one to describe but that's because it's not it's not really about the plot it's about the it's about the themes 
and and the uh wonderful characters they have in it just kind of make that a little easier to swallow but i i think if you try too hard to uh you know figure out the plot i think you're looking at the wrong you're kind of missing the point i I would say i think this lives in that weird land like you can get the plot and it's and it pulls you forward and it's interesting enough on its own but it's kind of like big lebowski where there's a plot there too yeah but ultimately you just want to kind of sit there and experience these these interesting scenes and interactions that occur and as time goes on you start to like cherish those i'm not saying this will get quite that status but this could have a similar kind of cult love by people i also wanted to mention you were talking about the characters and 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 loving them and stuff and i really like this usually only happens in a tele like a long form television series but it's rare that a movie does this where it'll introduce a new character as just a side character that you think is never going to come back and they end up staying and actually becoming integral to the story and that happens multiple times in this movie. So it's almost like this rolling ball that just keeps collecting characters, you know. And, and they're all awesome. Just, this is this is yeah. the okay, I'm gonna go way this is gonna go way nerdy. This is the Katamari Damacy of movies. Look it up. Is that the is that the video game? Yes, it is. Okay, I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Took a second, but I got there. <laughs> yeah. But um I, I think this is one of those things if you like kind of like what Eric is saying, if you kind of let the plot is kind of just a loose framework to get from one place to another, but really it's just going to be all these interesting and weird interactions that occur. And each character gets their moment in, in the sunlight. And um, if you like Mads, there's a couple moments that are great. There's a moment where Mads is walking away from a door and he stops and turns around. You're like, Oh shit, this is Mads. And he does what you think he's going to do. And it's just, it's awesome. So it there's a few awesome. of those moments. Then there's a, and another cool thing about this one is it's just reveal after reveal after reveal like there's and you know uh the the part you're talking about well there's a part very shortly after that that changes things and then there's a part shortly after that that also like it's just a it's just a series of yeah it's but but again that's all that's fun all that's fun but that's not the I, i don't think that's the overlying point and and I think as as much of a air quote mess as the plot is, I think it works because the the theme is so focused. Like everything everything kind of connects in that way. And the final shot or sequence over the closing credits. Yeah. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah. <laughs> so perfect. Very perfect. Once again, all three of these movies perfect endings perfect endings i'm going to draw a slender tenuous thread which probably is not going to weave all three together but i am going to in my inimitable pretentious way try to connect them there won't it probably won't there won't be a tissue connective tissue but i just really recently noticed each of these movies are completely different from one of each other but each movie deals with families there's trauma there are their discussions or just slightly some some very blatant some little interwoven regarding what it means to be a parent and loving you know and you can actually watch all three of these movies and get those kind of weed packing elements of just connecting them because if you see all of these movies back to back to back you're gonna have a really wonderful day that's all i'm gonna say but i do see a little bit of a slight thread that you can kind of connect all of these three if you love movies about parents sons, daughters, what it means to be in this world within that family unit. Each of these movies in their own right tackle those issues. So I would watch them in the order that we talked about them too. Well, so so the first one I saw uh, was Killing of Two Lovers. 
And I think I told you guys after I saw it, it was like, I, I was going to watch, I think I was going to watch the gin or uh, the right. The, that is a terrible title. Riders of the justice. Yeah, but, uh, but, uh, it, it, Darn, it, Dolph it, Lundgren of, and of all three of these movies, I'll let, I'll let the Mitch Hedberg thing go change the title of writers of justice to anything else. Um, but, uh, so, but I watched the killing of two lovers yeah. and um, I was going to watch the writers of justice next. And I was like, I can't do that to that. That's not fair. It's not fair to watch another movie, right? Because killing two lovers is so good. Had I known. And then I saw writers of justice. I'm like, th- th- there's no way I can watch the gin right after this. It's just, <laughs> Had I known that all three of these movies were going to be as fantastic as they were, I, I to Greg's point, this is a great triple feature. And they're all coming out, I believe, on the same day. So, fuck, if you want to just one right after the other, yeah, go for it. Because they're, they're different flavors, but the, the, they kind of, they're all three fantastic. And they all have, uh, it's the three flavors Cornetto trilogy, right? You, you might disagree, <laughs> but I can't imagine you're going to not find at least one of these three that you'll really like. Yeah, at least one of them. Yeah, because uh, all three of them. Uh, I mean, they're all different genres, um, but they're all the best version. You know, the best version of the genre that they're tackling. Like, I cannot, other than the name of Writers of Justice, I cannot in the Mitch Hedberg thing. I cannot think of one way to improve any one of these movies. Yeah, well, I, you know, and look, these three movies are so monumental and awesome. Actually. We're, we're doing some quarterback, quarterback play calling right now. We usually do weekly recommendations just because we were really strong, high strong on all of these movies. The recommendations, we're going to throw them for next week because right now on our new segment, we have a little, a little added segment right now with the, our, I guess, mutual all recommendations thanks to Angie Clark and Entertain Mart and that connection. We are going to talk about the Ilya Kazan film, Wild River, and when we come back, we're going to close out with Bruce Perky's What's in the Box selection. So here is our chat with the lovely Angie Clark as she talks about Eli Kazan's Wild River. Hey, everyone. We're back with another ep- episode, week of Find Your Film. This one is really special because we have one of our close friends and Cinematics Group members with us, Angie Clark. Angie, welcome to the show. Oh, I'd love- so glad to be here. Yes, Angie has been a real has been an OG supporter of cinematics since its inception, and since then she's actually you know I'm such a crypto addict. I'm just saying, basically, find your film was the fork on the blockchain on the cinematics blockchain. And uh, Bruce, stop looking at me like that, you <laughs> son of a! You know, Bruce is giving me a very side look, and that's it's well intentioned because Bruce, come on, I'm, Greg, you're the spoon. You're not the fork on the blockchain. <laughs> I'm not the fork, I'm just a little little teaspoon. But either way, Angie Clark has been a supporter of both our podcast, Cinematics, and Find Your Film. My first question is going to be a hard one for Angie. Angie, what's the difference between the two podcasts? You you listen to Find Your Film and Cinematics on your walks with yeah. your even though there's bobcats around, you still listen to our podcast. <laughs> what's it? What's the main difference between the two shows? Uh, well, the three of you, I don't know. Y'all just have different opinions, and and I love all of your different takes on movies and. Then um, you and Anderson, y'all have a just, I don't know, just a different relationship of sharing movies, but they're both good. So yes. I love them. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Here's the thing. This one, this week, there's a huge reason why you're with us. Eric Holmes 
Can you talk about your connection with Angie Clark and Entertain Mart? What's going on? Why the heck is Angie Clark on our episode? Well, first of all, she's on because she's a great person. And she's going to talk to us about a lovely movie that uh, she recommended. But we did the uh, Entertain Mart gift card giveaway. And Angie's one of the people that won. And we've done this a couple times before. And probably do it a couple more times later on. Uh, mostly... Uh, you know, it's just a fun way to uh, bring people onto the show and, uh, like Angie said, get differing opinions. But more importantly, I'm just curious what you got at Entertain Mart, and then we get to talk about it. I know, and, and I know you want to know how easy it was. Uh, it's you, you really have to know what movie you're looking for, and you just go to the Entertain Mart website and look for your movie, and you have to pick one that says in store. And then you search and you have to make sure it's the Colorado Springs store. So it takes a little while. But once you get the movie that you want and you call them and they say, yeah, we have it. I had the video in just a couple of days. And then they gave me a uh, free shipping. So I'm going to order more. I've already got some, my eye on a few things. So it was great. Thank you so much. Yeah. You know, for years, I, I, I think maybe about a decade ago, I, I saw this movie called Rain Tree County. It's a Civil War drama starring Elizabeth Taylor and Monty Cliff, Montgomery Clift. And I guess maybe a decade ago, Montgomery Clift at that time became my favorite actor because the way he approached how, how he was a different leading man. Basically, he wasn't a dean. He didn't have the sensitivity and rebelliousness of dean. He didn't have the animal magnetism and charisma and brute force of, say, a Marlon Brando. I could, I could relate to him. He was the oftentimes ineffectual, very hesitant, introspective male lead. And for a while, he was actually quite, quite good looking. I'm not saying I was quite good, quite good looking. I'm, I, was, I was talking about the ineffectual part. And for years, I'd, I'd wanted to see the movie that you chose for your entertainment purchase after watching Rain Tree County. But for years, this movie was actually hard to find. Angie Clark, can you tell our listeners what your entertainment choice was and why did you pick it? was Wild River with Montgomery Cliff and Lee Remick. Um, I chose it because I heard Bruce Dern being interviewed on the um, Movies That Made Me podcast. And Bruce Dern was so entertaining. He just talked. Just He's so he's got so much history and he knows so many actors. But he said this was his first movie. And he was uncredited, but he just really appreciated working for uh, Kazan, or he called him Gadge. And... Um, so I just picked this movie. And then he talked about Lee Remick and how she was one of his favorite actresses, actually one of his, the nicest actresses. So I was lucky to find it and, uh, and really enjoyed it. It sort of led me down some more rabbit trails. It's kind of like your director's focus does, because then I started watching more Kazan movies and Lee Remick movies. And one of my favorite Kazan movies after this was A Face in the Crowd with Lee Remick. And I think that was her first one. And a, a whole different Andy Griffith on that movie. But yeah, I don't know. It just, you guys open up so many movies and um, just opened my eyes. But yeah, Bruce Dern was really interesting interview. So that's how I chose it. Well, I don't know. I don't know if you guys know this, but years ago, I interviewed Andy Griffith for A Face in the Crowd with the Warner Home Video DVD release. Oh, you know, and, wow. I, and I also interviewed Tony Franciosa, who's a big, big uh, actor in A Face in the Crowd. I do agree with you, Angie Clark, that A Face in the Crowd is a seminal Elia Kazan release. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to out you right now, though. Bruce and, and Eric Holmes, you don't know this. Over, uh, over messages on Facebook, Angie Clark, On the Waterfront, controversial oh, yeah. opinion. What did you think <laughs> of On the Waterfront, Angie Clark, before we get to Wild River? 
Sorry. I don't remember what I said. I, I know you, you you didn't like it as much as everyone else does. Which no, I, I didn't. Yeah. It, was, it just didn't work for you, right? Didn't. Right. So. He just didn't. Brando's, I don't know. I just didn't like him in that for some reason. Just, yeah. I love those kind of, Eric, don't you love those kind of divergent opinions? It, it's cool, right? That's I, the flavor of life. I don't know that that's controversial, though. Because like uh, they, Marlon Brando is one of those actors, like everyone knows him as a great actor, but he's also kind of has a reputation for being a dickhead or hard to work with. So the fact that someone doesn't like it, like me, like, you know, like Keanu Reeves, for example, he's not a great actor, but he's got a good personality. And that always comes through in everything he does, whether he's doing it on purpose or not. And I think probably the opposite happens for someone like Marlon Brando. Like if you're a shithead, maybe that comes out and certain people don't, you know, as great of an actor as you can be, maybe, uh, your inner asshole comes out and maybe turns some people off. And that, that can be helpful if that's the character you're playing. But um, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of if I've seen on the waterfront, I've no, I've seen pieces of it, but I, oh, I don't know that I've seen it from front to back. Wow. But uh, is that the Stella one or am I thinking of something else? No, that's street a, a streetcar named desire on the waterfront. When, when he talks okay. about what he could have been a contender when he's in the back, back of the car. With oh, okay. Carl Martin. Uh, yeah, and then Carl Malden's is brought is the priest and everything like that. Bruce Berkey, before we get to Wild River, Angie Clark's pick, controversial or you think on the waterfront? Can you can you see how some people might not like uh, that movie? Yeah, I mean, I have similar feeling about East of Eden. East of Eden doesn't work for me at all. So, and I I think that's just one of those. I think that era of movie with the whole um, you know method acting and all that kind of stuff that they're doing and that whole crew. Sometimes it comes across as overheated and for me, it doesn't quite work. Sometimes it works really well, but yeah, I can, I can see how some of those don't necessarily age so well. So I Angie, for the, the, I guess at the time, yeah, maybe we would have appreciated it more, but now it's, yeah. <laughs> it, it didn't connect with you. Brando's performance didn't connect with you. No, but cool. you know what? He, he reminds me a lot of Tom Hardy. Um, I could see that. I, I, could uh, I don't know if Tom Hardy would remake some of his movies <laughs> or play him in a biography or something. Do them right. Just so you should tell it to the studios. Yes. You, know, you guys need to make these classic movies the right way and put Tom Hardy in them. Just remake yes. those. Right. Those, those terrible old versions that people like. <laughs> <laughs> Screw the original. Put more Brando yeah. into Brando. On the Schmatter front. Come on now. Let's I, you know, better. personally, I love, I love different <laughs> opinions so we, so we can actually round out a good conversation regarding Ely Kazan's on the, on the waterfront. Now, it's so interesting, Bruce, that you mentioned East of Eden not connecting with you, even though that movie is highly praised. We're going to get to that East of Eden reference in a second. Wild River was released in 1960, directed by Ely Kazan. The writers are Paul Osborne, Wayne Bradford Kuehl, and one more credit, which I can't click right now because I don't want to. Centers on a TVA bureaucrat played by Monty Clift. He plays this guy named Chuck, Chuck Glover. He comes to this, what is it, a, a small town, but it's, they're all, it's pretty much a, farm, a farming community. Uh, there's some shanties, there's some homes all along this river. This river is going to essentially destroy. It has destroyed homes within the area. There are a couple of stragglers left who will not leave. That person who will not leave is Ella Garth, played by Joe Van Fleet. Joe Van Fleet received an Oscar, um, an Oscar for her work in East of Eden, playing the mother of James Dean, and she is Ella Garth, a grandmother, an elderly woman who does not, who knows the inevitable will come. The river is going to get her and her home, and maybe even the people who work on her land. 
She does not care. She will stay till the bitter end, even though the da- even with the dam being built and the inevitable has to come. She must leave the river and find a new home away from all the waters. Now, Monty Clift, as Chuck, he tries to, that's the whole movie. He tries to get her out of that Herb River area home. Lee Remick, Angie Clark was mentioning Lee Remick. Lee Remick is Carol. And Carol is the granddaughter of Ella. Carol and Chuck ultimately have a interesting bond that serves as pretty much sort of the spine of Wild River. It's said in the South, there are, there are moments where Monty Clift, as Chuck, he's, of course, a little bit liberal-minded. He's open-minded. And he's he's all about hiring people for this for the right amount of dollar. Doesn't matter what color of your skin. It's he's a fair man, but the problem is the, some people within this environment do not agree with his POV. That is the push and pull of Wild River. Of course, there is the impending waters and floods to come. Angie Clark, you purchased this movie on, at Entertain Mart. You you ordered it. They sent it to you. Was this a right purchase for you? Oh, definitely. Yes. Yeah, I love this movie. Um. It, it's really historical and it made me look up the Tennessee Valley Authority. I knew nothing about them. I didn't know why, you know, what was going on. So this, this area um, would flood a lot. And so they were building these dams to help with the controlling the flooding and also to provide electricity to the residents. And apparently this area, 30% of the population had malaria because of all the flooding, which I thought was interesting. So, um, yeah, I mean, so it was historical. It, it, it opened my eyes to a, a whole different part of our country that I didn't know about. And then, you know, he's trying to hire people to clear the trees and there aren't enough um, white men to do it. And so he wants to hire some of the African-American men and pay them the same wage. And of course the locals don't like that. And they say, if you hire them, the other, other guys will quit. And he just, he can't understand their point of view. So he pushes through and he gets, of course, some pushback from the locals. And, um, but then there's a love story in it. I don't know. Just, it was, it wasn't a blockbuster movie. It was slow, but it had a good message and kind of opens our eyes to things that, I mean, we don't experience today. I just, I mean, we've come a long way, um, probably still not where we need to be, but uh, I just can't believe that people treated each other like that, but I guess they did. Anyway. Yeah. When, when a lot of people mention, when a lot, a lot of cinephiles mention the works of Mon- Montgomery Cliff, they use movies like The Heiress or When He Was Young, and also The Heiress, A Place in the Sun, Red River, Wild River is never mentioned, even though, like you said, it has Ely Kazan as a director, and it has some really, like Lee Remick and Joe, the aforementioned Joe Van Fleet. What did you think of Cliff's performance in this film, Angie, did did it stand out for you? Did it connect with you, or were you eh on it? I didn't think he didn't. He wasn't very charismatic in this. I didn't think he was really into the role, but I mean, he pulled it off. But I didn't, um, I didn't really believe him that well. About I don't yeah. know. Yeah, you didn't believe him. I, you know, I'll be honest with you. He is for a while. He was my favorite actor. I'm going to get to, to my thoughts on him, which will probably run not counter, actually parallel to your thoughts on Cliff. But first, the Holmes truth. Eric Holmes, Angie Clark. She 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 weighed down on on a Wild River. She liked it, didn't love it. Thought Cliff did a decent job. Yeah. What did you think? Did anything well, stand first out? First of all, yeah. Angie didn't love Montgomery Cliff. Booted. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I um, love him. I just, in this particular role. I agree. I yeah. just couldn't see him and the girl together. 
Oh yeah, I I I would say the uh, the love story didn't really click with me. It, it seemed like it didn't need to be there. There was yeah. enough interesting stuff going on that they could have leaned on that. They could have done away with the love story and leaned more on the uh, like Angie said the the history and the uh, like all the the TVA. I don't know the political yeah. legal stuff going on. Um, That's probably my. Uh, inner courtroom drama fan coming out. I love Montgomery Cliff mostly because the only, so I checked his IMDb afterwards. And the only thing I've seen that he was in was judgment at Nuremberg. And I don't remember who he was in that. Grant, that's a long ass movie. So he's probably like the main character. I just didn't notice. Uh, the, the only thing, the only person I recognize in that is uh, William Shatner because it's, Hey, Captain Kirk's playing, not Captain Kirk. This isn't, this is neat, but uh, yeah, uh, Montgomery Cliff, he has a kind of a, uh, kind of a weird personality and i i didn't hate it at all i i loved it but it it wasn't at all what i was expecting i i kept thinking of uh casey affleck because like casey affleck kind of only only casey affleck acts like casey affleck or uh and it's not uh yeah he, he just had a weird kind of uh timber to him i guess the story was the uh, story was really cool, really interesting. I don't know what's spoiler and what's not, but there's a part where they're where he's talking to the uh, black people working in that little island. They're trying to get the old lady off of, and they're like, uh, "We can get you a uh, we can get you work." And then they take them with them, show them the job they'll be doing, where they'll be living. They're like, "Hey, this is nice." Yeah, they're they switching leave. the lights on, and the off and on. The, <laughs> and they yeah, the, the old lady is looking at them as they're leaving. Like, how could you? I'm like, oh, I mean, it kind of coming off as a slave owner. So I mean, I can't, exactly. I can't feel too sorry for you. This had a bunch of really weird dynamics to it, especially watching it today. I wonder what this movie was like. Uh, how I would have thought about this movie when it came out because a bunch of stuff really stood out to me is people doing horrible things but maybe that's at least at the time this movie set in apparently that's just the way people were that's not saying it's right by any stretch of the imagination but that and whenever you get so you get a character like uh, Lee Van or uh, Montgomery Cliffs a character like his older movies when you have people in a very racist world and then there's the one white guy that's not i i don't and i didn't grow up in that time so i don't know but i wonder how accurate it is that there was the one that was like i'm the non-racist one and it's weird that you guys are racist i'm like is it though because you live there <laughs> <laughs> like that the, you know not not saying that you need to think it's right but you should at least be I, i'm not buying that he's floored by the fact that there's racism there yeah. I, I think that yeah. he would be well aware that that exists it seemed like kazan Br- liked to make movies about political social issues and this was one that apparently he picked for that yeah that'd be like uh setting a movie now and then there's one person who's like wait there's a pandemic how does that work? <laughs> <Exactly. dude. laughs> yeah. You're not alive right now. Right. Bruce, your thoughts on this movie? Really similar. I, I thought it was really good. Um, I enjoyed the um, historical aspects a lot. I thought Lee Remick, I've only seen Lee Remick in some later roles. Well, that's not true, but I most memorably think of her from like The Omen. So seeing her as a really young actress in here, I thought she was kind of the, she really stood out to me in this movie. I thought she was really, um, I don't know, magnetic. She was really great. And as far as the whole racism thing, I think it's pretty explicit, you know, like, I mean, I think you, the, the kind of the metaphor, like you've got this old lady with her whole group of not quite slaves, but almost living on an island by themselves, refusing to leave, refusing to change, you know, it's kind of that it's the, the last 
bastion of the old South. And we're going to, it's, it's trying to stand up, you know, in the face of, of sure, a sure demise, you know, I guess you'd say. So I thought all of that was kind of uh, interesting and pretty well done. Of course, Bruce Dern, as we talked about, he, he stuck out. I also noted, I was like partway through, I think I even messaged um, Angie. I was like, I was like partway through and I was like, dang, that guy looks like James Earl Jones. Dang, that guy sounds like James Earl Jones. And I was like, oh, it's James Earl Jones' dad. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> now, I, now I know. And I don't know what you guys think as far as like connections and things to think about. I don't know for sure, but I think John Borman had to have seen this movie he had to have thought about this movie a little bit when he was doing Deliverance because oh, possibly even though the actual themes are different, first of all, it takes place within, I don't know, a hundred miles where Deliverance takes place. They're both about an area of old school stuff, impending flooding, you know, they both involve flooding like of a graveyard at some point or near flooding of a graveyard. And there's a shot in here that really stuck out to me because I love deliverance. There's a shot where the one where um, Montgomery cliffs at a gas station and he's sitting there and uh, the, the kind of racist dude comes up to, to not so subtly, subtly threaten him. And he leans in and he looks in the window while he's in the car and he's talking to him and kind of smiling, but he's also kind of threatening him. And there's almost, it's almost a shot for shot recreation of that in deliverance. When James Dickey, the author of deliverance does that to the guys at the very end of deliverance. He leans in, he goes like, you guys aren't going to come around here no more. Right. You know, he has this whole little scene. So a lot of little things like that, which I think echoes this idea of the South tradition versus progress, all that kind of stuff is really interesting. Um, And I love, uh, well, last thing is I love the sense of place. Like you have a really strong sense of this place. You like, you know, that little house to cross the river from the Island, you know, that little road that leads down to the ferry you know the ferry like you have this feeling of that you really know where this is happening and that's really strong too so i think for people who like older movies that are interested in something they may not have come across this could be a a really good find for some people speaking of finds a huge find for wild river is the performance of joven fleet again i mentioned her role as ella garth she has a monologue when she's when montgomery cliff's character chuck talks tries to talk to her about leaving her land and she has this really great monologue about buying her worker's dog you know her I, for, I forgot the name of the dog but she she makes some kind of analogy with that and it's just a real showy monologue some people may be on board with that or maybe may jump off board saying it's too showy but i love the showiness of joe van fleet's performance she really stands out in this movie for me regarding angie clark's assertion that montgomery clift he Maybe he really wasn't. It's not one of his best roles. I agree. It's it's you know it's a role that he underplays and he doesn't seem too invested in the role. Maybe Chuck himself wasn't too. Maybe he's trying to. You could see the wheels churning in his performance. But credit to his performance because ultimately the movie, though it's headlined by Montgomery Clift, he actually yields the floor to what Bruce was saying. He yields the floor to Lee Remick's performance. He yields the floor to Joe Van Fleet's performance. Both of them have the long, showy monologues, exposition-laden moments in Wild River. So if you want to see Lee Remick and Joe Van Fleet act their respective butts off, then Wild River is a huge, huge recommendation. For me, it is an, you know, it was released in 1960. So if you are a cinephile and you are attuned to movies of that era, Wild River is one of those movies that is a gem to unearth in my opinion. A couple of really interesting things about Joe Van Fleet. After watching this movie, I really want to hunt down 
a lot more of her movies. Maybe I might want to see East of Eden again. I want to actually check out on Amazon Prime Video. They have a TV version of Cinderella, which probably, I don't know if it's any good or not, but I'll check it out. She was, also has a small role in I or a co-starring role in the Peter Sellers, Lee Taylor Young film, I Love You, Alice B. Toklas. Never seen that. And Jovan Fleet, she has an interest. There's a lot of legends, legendary stuff talks about Jovan Fleet. She was very close to Ely Kazan. They were uh, collaborators. He directed her in a couple of productions in the early 50s. So she actually was born in California, raised in California, ultimately moved to New York and stayed in the Upper West Side, lived in the Upper West Side with her husband and her child. One of the legendary stories regarding Jovan Fleet is someone at the grocery store asked her, so I don't know if it's true or not, but this is reported. Someone asked her for identification and she took out her purse she unzipped it and she pulled out her Oscar for identification. <laughs> <laughs> that was an amazing wow. thing. Oh my goodness. That's Another, a flex right there. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Another, yeah. I, I was going to say, that's like Alec Baldwin and uh, Glenn, Glenn Ross. Fuck yeah. you. That's my name. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you, that's my name. Also, another, this is not as encouraging as far as that factoid. It is not as funny, but Albert Salmi great character actor he played he plays hank bailey hank bailey is the resident bully of the town the one who bullies chuck lover again played by cliff through all throughout the movie he is the main and main villain in real life i was looking up stuff on him i've seen we, i'm sure we've all seen albert salmi before he died early 90 at 63 he was just 63 a very young individual and i wonder was was a cancer heart attack what happened to him what happened to him was the reason why he died in 63 murder suicide with his wife he killed his wife then killed himself. His two daughters, you know, years later would say they forgave their their father because obviously they love both their parents. So that is a tragic ending to Mm. Albert Salmi. That said, Albert Salmi in this movie, he's very, very good. A lot of really good performances in this movie. Again, it's, and again, Montgomery Cliff, he always expressed his love of theater over movies and to Angie Clark's assertion regarding his performance. Not one of his best, but maybe... He just seemed distracted in this role. It did not, in my opinion, detract from the overall efficacy of this wonderful movie, Wild River. Angie Clark, a couple more thoughts on Wild River before we go? No, no. But uh, thank you, Eric Holmes, for the gift card and and opening my eyes to a new movie. I appreciate you guys so much. Appreciate you too, Angie. Before we go, do you have it right off the top of your head? Can you name one of your all-time favorite movies? And what is it about this movie that that really speaks to you? That still speaks to you today? Uh, oh goodness! It can uh, be anything. Anything. Oh, it could be Gremlins. Gosh. It could be Gremlins <laughs> too. You know what? Seriously, I was looking up Gremlins today. I was going to see if I could get that on, um, and they had it at Entertain Mart. So Sweet. that was cool. So well, I, I, I actually have a copy. I could send to you. <laughs> okay. I have like three hundred of them. <laughs> That was so fun. I would never have seen that had you not recommended it. I loved it. It was such a delight. But all-time favorite movie. I look at movies, if I can watch them over and over again, yeah, and they still make me laugh or something. But I know Anderson Cowan got on to me because this was one of my favorite movies. Pretty Woman. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Great movie. Gary Marshall. It, it just, it's just a good story. Good feel-good story. And I don't know. That's one of my favorite. Maybe not my favorite. But I think I thought, isn't that uh, Pretty Woman? This I, I haven't seen that since it came out. 
probably on like VHS or whatever. But then they have that like Go West song. Is that where that came from? I'm cutting this. <laughs> Very good, Eric. He Holmes. cut me last time. You didn't get to hear me sing last time. Get to, oh, oh, yeah. oh, to hear oh, me oh, sing. I'm cutting you get guys off whenever there's sing. anything musical. Angie, the reason why, because music licensing. This yeah. whole conversation's cut off. Let, 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 let me rephrase that. Did, did they do that song? place copyright music here (laughs) (laughs) of course richard gear is one of my favorite actors so that's that's one another reason i like this i I should also mention to the listeners uh since you did cut me singing (laughs) can you wishful thinking even though you couldn't hear it, I nailed it. Just so, just so you know. Nailed it. And since Richard Gere is one of your favorite actors, I don't know if earlier with, I think, Chad Wilfong, was it with, was it with Chad? No, no, no. It wasn't with Chad. Who, no, no. It was with, who did we we speak with? Um, I'm, I'm blanking. Days of Heaven. Who did we talk to? Oh, yeah. I, I watched that movie after y'all talked about it. Okay. So did it. you end up, did you end up? I oh, did. Gonna kill I liked us. it. Yeah. Who, who did we talk to? What what do we talk to? It was a it was a, some guy who makes movies. I can't. I'm sorry. He's, he's so good. Uh, he's so good. Balls. He's uh, an artist. Why are you, you testing our job? lack of brains? Had, what? Which one? <laughs> this was not it. <laughs> <laughs> that was not it. Okay, but so and Angie, you ended up Damn. watching Days of Heaven, and you really enjoyed it as well. I did. Yes. I yeah. Like that. It's beautiful. Very very beautiful. All right, Angie, thank you so much for joining us here on. Thank oh, you. Thank you yeah. for having me on. It's so nice to meet you guys. Pleasure. Pleasure is <laughs> ours. Thank Thanks you so for much. what y'all do. All right. Bye. All right, you t- By the way, Angie. And then, and, that- then I, and then I will send you gremlins. Okay. I, 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 I will send you gremlins and then you can come back on and to talk about gremlins. Okay. All right. <laughs> By the way, that is a beautiful piece of art or photo. That I have. did this because I want something interesting behind me. That's um, a photograph I took of the uh, stairwell built by uh, Frank Lloyd Wright or designed by him at the Rookery in Chicago. That is nice. Art Deco, so I just wanted something interesting. I do remember you mentioning uh, that, that you were a fan of Art Deco. Anything you can say about that? Like uh, kind of what draws you towards that? I know we normally talk about movies, but Art Deco is art as movies is. No, I guess just... All right. <laughs> time period and um, just romantic. I like Art Deco. Yeah. It's romantic. It's sleek. It's modern. It's yeah. gorgeous. It has that steampunk vibe to it. When you come out to Los Angeles, Angie Clark, wow. you're definitely got to go go around Pasadena and Hancock Park to see some of Los yeah. Angeles' most treasured Art Deco. All right. Buildings. All right. Well, take care. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. We are back. Bruce Perky, you are closing out this very meaty masterful masterpiece show not just not because of all not because of us maybe because of angie but especially because of the quality of movies that we have all masterpieces well we like all, all of us <laughs> i like wild river we ended up liking wild river as well so three masterpieces a movie that we all like so rudderless might be the best one out of the lot selected by the wonderful brian o'connell og cinematics member that, that's this recommendation, Brian O'Connell, thank you so much. He's been wanting me to see it for years. Can't wait to see, Bruce Perky, what's in the box, what you thought of Rudderless. Might be, you love music? You were in a, you were in a band. You were yes. in, in, in the 80s. You are I, was a, in a, I was in a folk band with... Uh, no, uh, no, you were in a punk, <laughs> punk band. You, you, with with uh, Anton Yelchin, me and Anton, we were, went way back. back so you know days, music? So. You know your music? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Rudderless, what do you think? Oh, boy. <laughs> I hate being the downer after all this awesomeness. <laughs> well, the other two people here with me have seen Rudderless as well. I said, please, guys, watch Rudderless because I, I don't, I'm not digging Rudderless so much. Rudderless is not working for me. So I'm hoping one of them is going to salvage it. The basic concept of Rudderless is... 
Well, first of all, directed by William H. Macy, obviously very famous. We love him as an actor, especially. So basic concept. You've got um, Billy Credup's character, Sam. Uh, his son and him are going to meet. Sam is like a, uh, what do you say? A corporate business dude. Seems he's pretty successful, probably pretty rich. Uh, he wants to have lunch with his son. His son's going to get ready to go to class in college. And his son says, yeah, I don't know, dad. And he's like, oh, come on. Sometime later, you see the dad's been stood up at lunch and on the TV, there's been a shooting at the college and his son is one of the victims. And that's kicks off the entire drama. And then basically you see a really short downfall. You can see he's going to getting drunk a lot. He's, he's not dealing with it. Well, I think it's two years later and you show, see him living on a boat, a very rich boat in a nice lake, but he's living on a boat. He's kind of a drunk. And uh, lo and behold, he gets a box of his son's music demos and Thus begins uh, Billy Credup's rise to musical local greatness, I guess, as he meets up with uh, Anton Yelchin and some other people. Um, yeah, this movie was very corny to me. I'm sorry, guys. Anton Yelchin plays a, yeah. um, a, a wannabe musician who listens to Sam, played by Billy Crudup, perform one evening at, the, I guess, a local bar, lounge, music venue in the in their small town that they live in. And... Yeah, and he he just becomes enraptured with the song, and then they end up forming Stocksy. a yeah, they end up forming a, a, a de facto band, and it's about their relationship, Sam's relationship with this young kid, and how he how Sam tries his best, even though he's pushing at it, he's trying. He actually Sam doesn't even want to get back into civilization. He would rather just live on the boat by the lake, just paint houses, and because he probably has a ton of money saved up. Even after two years, he's probably living high off the hog, or at least he has enough money to live off on that he can actually pick up day jobs and doing houses and just what it's probably his beer money and just living, living money off of the lake. So not too much of a mortgage there, but the boat, like Bruce said, is expensive. Lawrence Fishburne plays a, the owner of a local music shop who, and that's sort of another hub within the town. I ended up really enjoying this movie. I, you, Bruce, you were talking about how the killing of two lovers, you can actually, the way it's shot, you could see one end of the, from one end of the town to the other, you really get a sense of place. I'm not saying William H. Macy does a, an, a fantastic job like the, the filmmaker from The Killing of Two Lovers as far as giving a sense of place, but the locale of this movie, I actually fell in love with, you know, I like this, the, that the park and the lake and the local car, you know, the, just the whole local small town vibe of rudderless i enjoy the chemistry between anton yelchin and billy crudup who who's pretty much an a-hole for much of the movie and i am look and then there's a twist and he's a bigger a-hole <laughs> <laughs> there's a big and look i i did not i bruce and i were around the same age <laughs> where i i unfortunately was not a, a fan of punk rock growing up that's i was not as sublime or as intelligent as bruce perky in the 80s so i loved in the 80s and 90s i loved a lot of alt music myself i love i love that stuff i love this the music after watching rudderless i went to spotify and i started playing tracks from rudderless on the way to pick up my niece claire from school so overall a very interesting movie i'm glad thank you brian o'connell for actually recommending rudderless glad i saw it i'm surprised it took me so long to see this and rest in peace anton yelchin he's very good in this movie as well as is billy crudup i liked it bruce you you said it was corny 
Where do you land, Eric Holmes? I, I think we have a painted bird situation here. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, uh, there was, uh, well, first of all, the uh, I, I love the music in this. It reminded me a lot of uh, uh, like Two Cow Garage and Micah Schnabel. The uh, lyrics in the songs in this movie, I had to kind of do my best to ignore because they're really bad. But the but the the songs themselves are catchy and they're I I, I enjoyed listening to those. Um, I guess the fact that the lyrics are bad kind of makes sense. Uh, when you find things out i don't know how to say this bands don't work like they do in this movie <laughs> in fact nothing involving music works like they portray it in this movie the uh the, this seems like it was instead of being like we're you, okay you watch green room you watch green room you can tell that jeremy sonier has probably been in bands at the very least been to a bunch of shows he knows that world i mean it's you know stylized with the hazy green and everything but the green room looks like a movie of someone that has been there before this movie comes across as a someone that watched a lot of movies about bands and then just kind of maybe sort of glean what they think might happen but they also have good taste in music so that they manage to put good music within there was a bunch of uh you know kind of like uh i mentioned with the whole truth with keanu reeves like if you're a you know if you're a lawyer the movie's gonna make you pull your hair out and this is kind of uh the the choices they made of the air quote band stuff just made me want to pull my hair out they didn't do the uh having a conversation with each other while on stage playing they didn't they didn't do that so that was like the only the only thing they didn't do that i was happy they they avoided that and the uh the ending i think was a huge misfire now that is an interesting thing to make a movie about but the way they handled it, uh, <laughs> that's a tough one. I might have. I, to I, I I I could see many people watching this and getting to that ending part, and then just like fucking throwing them. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I I, I could see people getting offended by the way they handled that that ending. That said, and this goes more towards Greg's side. I still enjoyed it. Like, it it was stupid. It was cheesy, but the music kind of the music kind of carried me through. And uh, quite honestly, Anton Yelchin carried me through. And then every once in a while, I see Willem H. Macy going, what the hell is he doing here? And then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, uh, I actually yeah. really agree with you on the music. The music is good. I agree with you absolutely on the band stuff being the weird part of it. And the music is fine. For me, this is just for my personal taste. I think this movie would be a thousand percent better if the main character and the person we followed was Anton Yelchin. Hmm, interesting point I, yeah. I would uh i would actually uh i would say this movie would be better instead of having that ending keeping that is a is a twist i would say this movie would be better if that was the point mm-hmm. like like that's that's what this movie is because it is what the movie is about but you don't know until you get to then and by the time right. they tell you it it's just it's just Tone well, and the fact that you don't know, <laughs> for me, the fact that you don't know makes you like, why am I following this asshole? Yeah. That's kind of how I feel. Whereas you could have it, you could either have it, like you said, as the whole point, or you could have it as the twist. But if that twist happened to your main character, because they're related to this other person in the band, they're not the person in the band. You know what I mean? Like if Anton Yelchin is your focus and this occurs, then you'd be like, holy shit. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm just kind of rewriting it, obviously, but uh, that, that 
the main crux, the main twist of this movie, that was my biggest problem is that I was like, why am I following this guy? <laughs> you know, and what is the redemption? That was my question. So, all right. Oh, also, uh, Selena Gomez is in this, and we'll skip past mm-hmm. that because who cares? Totally. But- <laughs> you know, one of the things on, on this is with Selena Gomez in this movie, she's fine in this movie, but her character just pops up like just out of she's nowhere. Really there, there's no the shadows. She she's a she she pops in every once in a while going I can't believe you're playing those songs. What are you playing those songs for? And then of course when you find out it totally makes sense. But in the I mean now she's like the, I think I called her the ghost of exposition past. Like she just it, appears. I, I, I think I, I think this movie's biggest flaw is that the story it wants to tell it's not telling it because it's keeping that for a twist. Mm-hmm. When it should lean into that aspect of, because that that's an interesting story, but that's not the story. Like you know, that's the story they're telling after the fact, and it's kind of like, why? Just tell mm-hmm. that story. Be open about that, and and the um, the amount of talent they like the the actors they have involved in this, and you know, uh, and again, it's, it's a fun movie, but man, that, it, it could have been a fantastic movie. Like that the the pieces the the ingredients are there. Uh, what was it? It's always sunny in Philadelphia. It's like the ingredients of a cake. Wow, we get to eat cake? No, the ingredients of cake. <laughs> That's, funny. That's funny. So that is rudderless. I recommend the movie. I thought the movie worked. I enjoyed it. I believe Eric Holmes, you give it a not. I, a I, I I enjoyed it while I was watching it, and if someone else had it on, I'd watch it again. But there are also a bunch of just heavy things that really frustrated me and one thing in particular actually kind of pissed me off all right and bruce definitely no recommend on yeah. on this movie oh. on rudderless so i'm so sorry brian i hate it i hate it but i have to be honest yeah. thank you so much brian oh yeah is, by, by the way there's nothing on brian <laughs> i oh, don't yeah. hate you i like you <laughs> i like a lot a lot of movies that people hate so don't yeah. you that means nothing brian o'connell <laughs> if you like billy crudup i love bit i love billy crudup i have a recommendation for you and for all, all the listeners movie from billy crudup that i really loved is a 2000 film called waking the dead directed by keith gordon starring crudup and jennifer connelly that's a movie that hardly anybody has seen it's based on a scott spencer novel i think you can actually watch it on tubi very memorable movie, Eric Holmes. I, I I do want to say that I am glad I saw this movie because okay. that there there's there's the uh, not that like you know a, a train wreck is interesting, but there there's like there but this I don't I'm trying, I'm trying to do a meal call and it's sounding worse, but <laughs> but the, the, it's uh there's definitely lessons here to be learned, yeah. and. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I want well, someone. Brian, to re- I, I just want someone to remake this movie. And well, keep Brian, the music. I enjoyed. I enjoyed Rudderless. I thought it was rudderful. I don't even know. That's <laughs> I, enjoyed. I enjoyed Rudderless. We uh, lost our minds. Uh, it's tough. We lost our minds. <laughs> but anyways, that uh, yeah. So, Bruce, what's in the box? Shake, shake, shake. What's in the effing box? What's in the box, Bruce? What's in the box? That's very that good. A terrible that's a nice, song. Yeah, that's a, good. That's a good. Song. Not, not as good as the songs in Rudder List. That, 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 <laughs> that, that one was kind of. Uh, yeah, what you got, Bruce? Well, is it this funny? My my kid's been waiting and waiting. His has not been picked yet. Don't worry. There is a turd in the box. 
put in by my kid. It has not popped up yet. He's waiting patiently. Usually at this point of the show, he's literally sitting outside the door to see if I'll pick the, pick his movie. I have not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He's like cracking the door right now. (laughs) Actually kind of a fitting a pita beta from middle-class film class. Listen to this week's episode. If you'd like to hear me talk about return of the living dead. Anyway, wait, Bruce, did you on middle-class film class, did you bring the whole group down? Cause they're, they're quite, they're, they're good. Did you, because you brought the find your film uh, energy, did you lower, (laughs) did you lessen the quality? What what happened? Probably. (laughs) I put that, that extra sauce that just ruined the, the whole pot of stew. Um, The stink of find your film permeated (laughs) into other podcasts. Um, yeah. So um, this is great. One of you guys has got to watch this movie. If you haven't seen it. And I've only seen parts of this movie. So I'm going to go through the whole thing. Uh, post Tenebras Lux. Mm. Oh, Post Tenebras 2012 Lux. by Carlos Regades, I believe is how you say his name. Yes. This will be an interesting one. I, I guess this is a good, ex- this is a good excuse as I need to finish it. I started that. And- <laughs> oh, uh, beta, beta. Is that, does yeah. it get better? Or is that, is that just stay that rough throughout? I don't know. We're going to find out. All right. All right. So that it is beta, a beta. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Peter beta, the uh, guardian of probably the biggest turtle I've ever seen in my life. That is not a euphemism. He actually it's is a guardian a turtle, of a really big, big tortoise. Oh, wait, there's a big difference between tortoise and turtle, right? I, oh, there has yes. to be. I'm sorry be for that. But that is, uh, yeah, check out <laughs> and his crew over at middle class film class. Bruce Perky is on this week. You're, you, that was good. That was fun, Bruce. You had a good time. On the on the pod? I, I'm just a little teeny. I just recorded a little thing. They threw it on. Uh, they're probably throwing it on there. They might have cut me out of it. I don't even know. They should not have. Maybe I won't. They'll just say, uh, "Yeah, he's not on here. <laughs> we don't want to talk to him." Yes, listeners, if you listen to middle class film class and it gets to Bruce, just do the emergency broadcast system thing for about five minutes. Just let it go run right through. Right, right, Bruce. <laughs> But, fair okay. enough. Fair enough. Fair, fair enough. After okay. after being me to Brian O'Connell, I got it. I deserve it, <laughs> Brian. That, anyways, that is it for this week. Eric Holmes, final thoughts. Uh, apologies to Jeffrey Basson for forgetting your Jeffrey name. Jeffrey Basson. <laughs> Jeffrey Basson. Jeffrey Basson. But, uh, as, as you know, and I've said many times, and I'm guessing that uh, Greg and uh, Bruce have the same thing. Uh, our brains don't work good all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah, Jeffrey Basson.com. Jeffrey Basson, filmmaker. Yes, very good. Uh, Jeffrey Basson and JeffBasson.com. Either or, he's a very talented artist, filmmaker. We loved having him on the show as well. We had a great conversation about Days of Heaven. And he also, you know, thanks to him, I actually rewatched Night of Night of the Hunter. So thank you, Jeff, for that. Thank you, Angie Clark, for joining us on this episode of Find Your Film with Wild River. And we are closing out as per usual, as every other week with Bruce Perky's final thoughts. Poop Brain Perky, signing out. (laughs) We'll see you guys next week. Have a great week watching movies.